1: Welcome to another edition of Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Find out how gold and silver can be a good addition to your retirement portfolio. Thanks, Legacy. We love you guys. Thanks for supporting us. This is a fun podcast coming up. I mean, I like to think that they all are. But this guy, Mickey Z, the guy that used to follow Noam Chomsky, a guy that used to be kind of a leftist activist, has found his way sort of out of that bubble and into a different state of mind. He hosts a podcast called the Post-Woke Podcast. He's also on Substack under that title, Post-Woke. He is a fascinating dude. Never went to college. I knew I liked him for a reason. And funny. And so insightful with such an interesting background in history. You're going to want to talk to this guy. He kind of sounds, or you're going to want to listen to him. He kind of sounds like a a, a beatnik who's turned um, clear-headed. It's really fascinating. Hear how he went from Occupy Wall Street to, I don't know if I want that vaccine in my arm. You got to listen to this one. Mickey Z is next. So, welcome, Mickey Z. What's your real last name? I see it on Wikipedia, but I want you to say it. It's Michael Zazima, and actually,
2: Zizima. my dad was born in Italy, and his relatives would say it Zezima. but uh, Zetzima. Zazima. When I was in school, and then eventually, because it's not the easiest name to uh, remember, <laughs> um, and I did, I worked at a gym with a bunch of people named Mike or Mickey or Michael, so the Z just became my uh, standard pen name, sort of.
1: Mickey Z, I like it. Um born and raised in Astoria, Queens if I'm to believe Wikipedia here. You <laughs> appeared in a book with Noam Chomsky. What yes. what tell me about what I I've got to know more and I can't find more on my own. I one of my books
2: that I wrote was published by a publishing company called Disinformation which um would be say <laughs> a little bit ironic <laughs> in today's world but this was about 20 years ago or so. And they put out a series of anthologies that were called Everything You Know Is Wrong, You are Being Lied To, and they would contact authors who wanted to challenge the mainstream narrative in almost any topic. And Chomsky at the time was sort of at the pinnacle of doing that. And so I I include him in my bio sometimes because even though I'm Less than thrilled with his reaction to the vaccines, um, I still learned a lot from some someone that challenges conventional wisdom like him, and I was it was cool to be in a, in a book, the same book as him.
1: Well, he's an interesting character. How well did you get to know him?
2: Well, it's it's fascinating. I first made contact with him before the, the internet, and he was notoriously known for answering his mail. So I sent him when I was much younger. I sent him snail mail and just said, hey, I've read some of your books, I had some questions, and he responded. And we ended up having a correspondence pre-internet. And then after that, I would I went to a couple of his talks and got to meet him in person. To say I knew him well would be an exaggeration, but okay. my interactions with him, with him were very positive.
1: You, you mentioned in a minute ago that you were not happy with his response to the vaccine. I'm not sure what that was, if I'm to be honest with you. So what, what was his reaction?
2: He, um, the man who co-wrote the book, Manufacturing Consent, um, Hook, Line, and Sinker bought the COVID narrative. Mm -hmm. And when he was asked, sort of tangentially on a podcast, it it wasn't about the narrative, but he was asked what he thought about, um, I guess they were calling them anti-vaxxers even on that podcast. He talked about how they needed to be separated from society and that oh. they were a threat and they should be put somewhere away from us and the the, the shocked um, host followed up with a question along the lines of well how will they live where will they get food and he said he said that's their problem oh. and so um, a lot of people who once admired him um, were <laughs> Taken aback, to put it mildly, yeah. and um, I've definitely written and podcasted about it. But I always add in it doesn't negate, you know, you, you just you can't say it negates a lifetime of work that he's done, and he definitely played a role in just inspiring me to ask questions. And so I'm always grateful for that, but very disappointed in him more recently.
1: Well, yeah, because it, what he said avoided all questions. People who were just pure, take the vaccine, didn't ask many questions. So it's kind of ironic that he, he just bought into that. You've, your podcast, as I mentioned in the intro, is called Post-Woke. Yes. What do you mean by that? Were you once woke?
2: Well, it depends on how you define woke, because I, as you, since I'm mentioning being influenced by Chomsky, it might be obvious to listeners that I come out of what would be traditionally called the left, I think mm-hmm. those those lines are so heavily blurred and confusing now that I certainly don't call myself left or right or anything at this point. But when I was part of the left, and let's say ten, twelve years ago in the general area when Occupy Wall Street was around, the term woke wasn't popular, but it was not, it didn't mean necessarily what it means today. In fact it didn't mean what it means today. It just sort of meant to be asking questions, challenging narratives. Sort of um, anti-corporate power, questioning corporate power, we did things like March Against Monsanto. And yeah. so so. when I say post-woke, I sort of went through that entire indoctrination and came out of it, um, What I hope to say, with a clearer perspective of what things mean to me. And, you know, like anyone that's part of a group, you... There's a tendency to slide into some level of groupthink and I won't mm. pretend that I never did or that I can't do so in the future. We're all immune to that. But I, the term post woke to me means that just that sense of really clinging to your intellectual autonomy and, and seeking an internal compass as to what things mean to you and what direction and what actions you want to take.
1: It seems Mickey that that that's very hard for some people to do that it's much easier to go along to get along or to just say yes I agree you know it's as you mentioned earlier it certainly happened with covid and with the vaccines and the masking and all the things that that we were told would be helpful yeah. uh, why do you suppose that's so easy for people Well the the dominant um
2: powers the the media the, the hollywood they are they do they're incredibly effective at getting us to line up behind different narratives and i think that this is a long time coming like I, this this what happened over the past nearly 3 years to in my eyes didn't happen out of nowhere it's a long time coming where there's social media in particular, where the, you have these algorithms run by artificial intelligence that mm-hmm. sort of herd us into little tribes. And I know myself, when I was with Occupy, and I had at the time what Facebook lets you have, have 5,000 friends and you reach your limit and then you have followers. So I had all these people. And if I scrolled through my feed, I could believe, and at times I fell for it, that, wow, everyone agrees with me. Look uh-huh. at this, one post after another, because the, the machine is only showing me the people who believe, who, who agree with me based on who I'm friends with, what I read, what I click on. And I think the this has been a tendency since perhaps since the TV age in particular, but the, the Internet in general and social media in particular have created it that we unknowingly um, get get herded into these tribes and then – We feel like we're part of something. That's why we're Mm. all in this together work so well, because typically we feel so separated and isolated. So we feel like we're part of something. Look at these people. I've never met them, but they're my friends and they all agree with me. (laughs) And then you will defend that quite vehemently, even if that means
1: denying reality. This is fascinating. We're going to take a quick break and then I'm going to ask Mickey Z how he did get out of that, how he became post-woke. That's right after this. While we've watched the stock market do its thing, whatever that is, I mean, it's been a roller coaster, right? All that's going on, but gold has been on the rise. Hmm. You know, gas prices are ridiculous, groceries, the whole bit, but you have options when it comes to your investments. You don't just have to invest in stocks. Gold prices are rising because investors are turning to gold for protection and gold provides a hedge against inflation, protects against a weakening dollar. It's a good long play investment. Legacy Precious Metals comes in here. They are the only company I trust when investing in gold and silver. You need an investment that's gonna protect your wealth and retirement. Like I said, a good long-term play. So if you think back to November or just 2008 in general, you know, what was that now? How many years ago? Yikes. But at that time, I mean, things were in such disarray. Those who invested in gold saw really significant gains while others were losing their retirements. So while there is still time, maybe call Legacy Precious Metals. Find out how you can work gold and silver or other precious metals into your IRA, your 401k, your retirement portfolio. Uh, They can advise you on all of your options because they've got a great investing team. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. So, Mickey, you said you sort of came out of it with maybe a clearer mind, clearly a, a, um, a more independent thinker. How did that happen? You know, it was through um, rational
2: questioning, questioning of activist tactics. I started to notice that when I was doing stuff along the lines of, let's say, animal rights here in New York City, that for a while there was a very active movement to end the carriage horse industry, saying it was – cruel to the horses. And I've heard people eloquently disagree with that point, but I think there's some really strong points on the cruelty side too. And I would get involved in these these groups. Um, They would invite me to give talks about activism in general. And I realized as time passed that people didn't want to hear something along the lines of, hey, you've been doing this style of activism for so long and the results aren't coming in. Maybe we should try something new. And they say, Oh, you think you know everything? And what do you suppose we should do? Just stay home. And the, the personal, the way they took it personally and the way they turned it around personally on me made me realize that it wasn't activism. What's became known as virtue signaling. It's Uh. a way of showing the world hey, I'm a good person. I'm willing to stand out in 95 degree weather or freezing cold weather with a sign saying carriage horses are cruel or or march against Monsanto and show the world how dedicated I am. And when I started asking, is this accomplishing anything? Because I don't see it. I I see zero results. I -hmm. became sort of outcast. And what was interesting is when the people that I thought were friends were attacking me personally for my question, just simple question. And to go back to that point is when I, it, it something clicked in my mind that I felt less inhibited To speak out and to ask more questions. Mm. It didn't guide me into say like, okay, if I want to stay in this group, I better zip my mouth shut. It was like, no, there's something wrong here. And that's always been sort of a passion for me. Now I come out of other, I played sports in my life. Mm -hmm. If you're on a basketball court and you run a play 20 times in a row and it fails, the coach is (laughs) going to say, we should run a different play, you know? I've worked in gyms my whole life, training people. If someone comes to me and says, I've been doing this kind of workup, but I'm not getting results, the common sense answer is, well, let's try something new. And I sort of just applied common sense was greeted with vitriol. And that space that was created pushed me into a space of asking more questions, becoming sort of a free agent then at that point, because I wasn't part of any group or ideology but I'm so grateful in a way the people that some people that were awfully mean to me for asking questions did me a huge favor because they sort of snapped me out of the groupthink.
1: I wish that could happen to more people. <laughs> it's, you know, yeah. I, I wonder if there's something about you and the way that you're wired or the way that you, uh, maybe it's those common sense things from your life in sports or training that, that, that made you think that, but I, I had similar things happened during the covid years when i said on facebook or wherever you know i'm seeing that this treatment some doctors think that this could work in the early stages and then this immediate <laughs> onslaught of like whoa no, just no, it felt no. like a tidal wave of you idiot you stupid don't you know the studies have been done how dare you yes greta thunberg how dare you ask such a question and it was like uh, okay Whole, and that's what really woke me up was I can't even ask a question without this kind of slapback. What the hell is going on? I just wonder, you know, it, it seems to me there's a still a great divide between those yeah. of us who want to ask the questions, who want to dig deeper and get second level thinking and those who want to maintain the group think like Hollywood, like academia, like Politicians, Uh, how how do we how do we get out of this? Uh, If I had that answer right now, yeah, you'd be yeah.
0: yeah,
2: But I, I mean, first let me say that I totally relate to you. Where it's like you you ask a simple, common sense question, you know, like like uh, so you walk into a restaurant wearing a mask, but when you (laughs) sit down, you take it off because COVID (laughs) isn't allowed on the table, and you know, even if you don't ask it that sarcastically. What you get is 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 actually frightening. It's so aggressive, yeah. and thank thankfully you you said, "All oh, right, this is going to make me ask more questions." Because now, if you're going to tell me questions aren't allowed, now questions are really allowed. Yes, and I, is, and I I do like to think, and I'm not. This isn't pie in the sky. It's from interacting with people that there are a lot more people like that. They just don't necessarily have. A clear, loud voice yeah. on any social media, but when and Substack is 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 one place where you can find yes. a lot more um, what they call free thinkers. Yes, but I think that what we need to do is is this unique blend of finding more people who are asking questions and then sharing questions with them and talk and just feeling some kinship and solace that I'm not the only one. Yeah. But we can't. Um, Alienate and isolate ourselves from those who aren't asking questions because that's just guaranteeing that it's there's never going to change. Mm. And I find that that that's that's been a struggle for me for a while. I recently posted on my Substack that that I wonder if what I'm doing here is beginning more and more and more to fall into the category of preaching to the converted. Which again, uh-huh. there's some value in that because you don't want to feel alone. And right. when someone writes to me and says, "Oh my God." I read your latest article or heard your latest podcast, and it made me feel so involved and so not alone. That yeah. that's a gift. But you say to yourself, "Well, how do we connect?" And I've been—I think that's the j- direction to answer your question: the to for us to connect without these institutions. Not expect Hollywood, the media, politics, academia to ever show us the tools that are going to bring them down. <laughs> They're not going to do that. So how can we connect with people? Our peers, and let let each other know that we're not villains to each other, and we have yeah. way more in common with each other than we do with either political parties, politicians.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm beginning to see that more and more clearly every single day. You know, you wrote, you have written a number of books, twelve, I think. Yes. Um, any of them now that, and I mean. Let's see. You had saving private power in two thousand. The murdering of my years. Artists and activi- activists making ends meet. Uh, a gigantic mistake. Fifty American revolutions. You're not supposed to know. I mean, it goes on. It's quite a list. Any of them that you think eh, that one? Maybe I wish I hadn't written. Oh yes, absolutely. Okay, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, one of them is about activism, mm-hmm.
2: and it was written before I started really, really dissecting the techniques and mindset of activists. So for example, that one, I, I would say, all right, that does no longer represents what I'm about. Okay. Uh, but in general, all of them have something that I find cringeworthy now. <laughs> but I I think that's awesome though. There's a part yeah. of me that's like, I don't want to be marching in lockstep even with myself 15, <laughs> 20 years ago. like I, I like to think that I continue to expand, but they all have a theme which is questioning narratives. Mm-hmm. And part of that, maybe part of that is because I'm primarily self educated and I have the advantage of not being in a, ever going through a traditional like college indoctrination. So maybe that helped along the lines. Yeah. I had parents that were, even though we would disagree very strongly, they were very conservative with a small c, conservative, mm-hmm. um, but they were unconditionally loving and supported my curiosity and my desire to educate myself. And so I grew up in an environment that didn't punish me for asking questions. I went to 12 years of Catholic school with nuns and priests. And even then, you could still ask questions. At the end, there was always a point where the questions ended and he just was like, well, you just that's just how it is, you have faith and that's it like there's a point where the questions end and you learn that in Catholic school. but by the yeah. time you're in high school and you start to have a little intellectual you know in, in, in ability, it's kind of fun to to debate people who are in are in that for they're in that for life and yeah. so i I feel like it's been a passion of mine. I enjoy it I try to do it respectfully, but i um I think I have that background that enabled me. From an early age, to feel comfortable asking questions, but I'm still a human being, and as you mentioned before, when when someone that you know and love comes at you because you asked a question, it's still it's still pretty jolting and hurtful, you know, even in
1: 2022. Wow, you, you in your podcast, the po- post woke podcast, you, you do a lot about the vaccines. You and I were introduced by someone, a mutual um, friend of interest who has, is fighting about against the vaccines or suggesting that they may not have been all we were told they were to be and so on and so forth. How did that topic become so important to you? Well, I have always tried
2: to live a healthy life and take responsibility for my own health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, and there's some luck involved because anyone can be sh- struck by, by a disease or any, an accident. Mm-hmm. But I've been very fortunate to have not ever really used many pharmaceuticals or had to go to the doctor a whole life, a whole lot. And I don't rush to the doctor for every symptom, so I contribute to not going. So it's been part of my life. And without even understanding what anti-vax means, to the best of my memory, by the time I became 18 or older – I don't know if I've ever had a vaccine and mm. that would, because it was, I would just avoid medicines. It just seemed like the same way that if you were going to order a meal and there was a healthy healthier meal and a and a kind of junk food meal, I would just order the healthier meal because that would be better for my body. I just never had a good feeling about them. So that foundation was always in me. But then when I sort of became a left activist, believe it or not, there was a time where questioning vaccines was a big issue on the left, where if you if you went to a meeting 20 years ago in some little place down in the East Village in New York City that was questioning, there was a group called Vaccination Alternatives. And I brought a friend there because she was pregnant and was wondering whether she wanted to have her child vaccinated. So I said, oh, I know where to bring you. It was a little click of leftists for the, for the most part, which mm-hmm. is so ironic now. Yeah, it is. So it sort of grew out of that And then as I began to learn more, say from Chomsky, about corporate power, and the corners they cut. And I mentioned before Monsanto, like Mm. genetically modified products, which this jab is. It's genetically modified mRNA. So we used to march. I gave a talk at Union Square Park in 2014 to maybe 3,000, 4,000 people for March Against Monsanto against GMOs and about taking responsibility for your health. And the vast majority of those people don't talk to me anymore and all lined up for the jab. Yeah. so that that is shocking to me. So I felt like once Operation Warp Speed kicked in, I started going back into my files of, of stuff about vaccines that I had written in the past, mistakes that were made during the polio vaccines in the 50s, the fact that no vaccine in history has ever gone from identifying a pathogen to being licensed and marketed and can, been considered ex- successful shorter than, four years which was the mumps in the 60s they tried a couple in the 70s and in 2009 i think they were like bird flu swine flu and they tried to rush them out to terrible um results and they had to be taken off the market so i would share these these facts with people and some people would listen but most people just lined up and got it so become that's the long round ways that for me to say it's become very, very important to me that this seems to be a flashpoint. That if, if we could break through to people and rec- make them recognize that, that big pharma is, is a profit seeking institution like the rest of them, even if you don't want to demonize them, just look at what their charter is. And you would say, by definition, they cut corners and they capture agencies like the FDA in order, like there's a revolving door. Someone could work at, Monsanto one year and then be the chairman of the FDA with the next administration that comes in. And when you do a little bit of that homework, it's really impossible to hear about Operation Warp Speed and not respond with with shock and passion and commitment that I'm not, I said, I'm going to stay on this topic amongst the, I like to think I cover a lot of ground topic wise, but you're right. I do focus on this because it feels so urgent.
1: Well, it is urgent, and it's certainly timely, and I think you're absolutely right. I, what's fascinating, and I think there was a, a real political element to why people lined up for it, uh, and you're nodding, If for people who don't see you, you're nodding. I, I, it, what happened, if we remember it correctly, was the the pandemic hit when Donald Trump was in office. He was so hated by at least 50% of the country that whatever he said, people sort of went against. But he did start Operation Warp Speed. If people recall, it was not until after the election in which Joe Biden was elected over Donald Trump that the vaccines were okayed. It was like within days after the election that the vaccines were, were released and said, these are okay. Now, suddenly, it became your duty to be vaccinated. I mean, I talked to people who were just alarmed that my brother would not get vaccinated. Well, he's selfish. Well, you know, I'm not sure selfish is all that bad a thing when it comes to your personal health, first of all, and, you know, and the masking and all this, that people just lined up because now it felt like this was the, the, the Fauci was the sort of the anti-Trump and his presence and whatever he said seemed to go like, you know, we're so against Trump. We're going to listen to Fauci and do whatever he tells us to do. how, how. How much truth do you think there is in that idea?
2: I think that you just spoke a whole lot of truth there because it points out two really interesting and contradictory parallel ideas. One is that Trump started Operation Warp Speed and to this day is running on that as an issue saying, hey, there'd be no vaccine if it wasn't for me and everyone Mm -hmm. should get one. But yet the people who have the Trump derangement syndrome, who (laughs) if he told you, if he came on... Twitter tomorrow and said that the sun's going to rise in the east. I I think half the country for the first time in their life wouldn't believe it just because he said it. Like there's so, and I'm not saying that in defense of anyone it's but it makes there's no ration there's no rational thought possible when you have that level of like deranged hatred towards one person so yeah. that's bizarre but then it manifested in them wanting to have the anti trump which fauci stepped into that role and he's notoriously done that going all the way back to the 80s and 90s with the aids crisis and his record there is horrendous yeah. and it it's a, it i would encourage people to just look that up and i also interviewed Um, Celia Farber, who was a a journalist at the time and is still an amazing journalist, who was on the ground covering it for Spin Magazine back then. And Fauci, I don't know how much I could say here, but he should be behind bars. That's my... Well, (laughs) um,
1: you're, you're not alone in that thinking. But then
2: I could speak from experience. Living in a liberal city like New York, people who walked around without masks were assumed to be trumpers it was actually that black and white and so to virtue signal the greatest virtual signaling tool in history you literally wear your virtue on your face Mm -hmm. look what a good person look how unselfish i am look how much i care about you and nobody said hey do these masks work (laughs) yeah, I've asked people, have you ever looked it up? And of course the answer is no. And they'll say, they'll say to me, Oh, when did you get your epidemiology degree? I said, you don't really need one to type words into Google because so I think I I feel pretty confident saying, I agree with everything you said that it became it was this perfect storm, which perfect storms very rarely come around in politics that aren't planned in some way. and, in which somehow they got Trump to start the vaccine and still be proud of it, but it became this dividing point of mm-hmm. who's civilized and who's not. But I I think, I, I really firmly think that these powers that shouldn't be way overplayed their hand. That they thought that we were going to just surrender way easier and then ease into that whole world economic digital ID and all that stuff, which they're still trying to work on. And sure. there's a whole lot of people going, wait, 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 I haven't even gotten the jab. So you're not pushing me into this stuff. And yeah. I think they really, really underestimated a big chunk of humans. And that's been a source of hope for me, that people are doing their self-education. And, you know, it's, it's become a joke to say when someone says, I'm doing my research. But it's true. It doesn't really take – I don't even know if research is the right word. Like research sort of implies a, a, a scientific paper. Yeah, it's no. Reading. It's
1: just like I, I'm I'm looking
2: stuff up. How about- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound I'm as reading. romantic. Yeah. But that, basically I'm reading. that's what it is. And I've listened to to your guests. In fact, when you had um, John Stockton on – Mm-hmm. I loved when he said, well I've been reading about this for years. Yeah. He's, and he said I feel like I've been guided to this because I've been I have this information at the, at the on the front burner because I've been right. reading about it. Then this crisis hits and I'm like, I'm the one who needs to speak up because I got this stuff at the tip of my tongue yeah. and I felt I related to it. I just said, yeah, anyone who studied something like what what is the, what degree do you need at that point because we're not being paid to do this. Fauci's being paid. Yeah, he's and he's the one pulling the purse strings for research all across the globe. So yeah. who gets funded? Who doesn't? These are valid questions.
1: Absolutely, they're valid questions, and to not ask them is is irresponsible, and it's uh it, it it's not the way that it, a, a free um, society should work where we that. don't ask the questions. I, this is, this is really, truly fascinating conversation. I would love Thank to have you back because you, you, you cover a lot of stuff that I'm really, really interested in. I'll Thank plug them and say that I'm going on your podcast soon and yes. I'm looking forward to that. But, um, other, there there's so many directions I could have gone with you today, but this has been fascinating. I'm so glad to talk to you. It's, Thank it's, you. it's interesting to talk to someone who has come from one place and sort of evolved to another by asking questions. (laughs) It's an okay thing to do. It really is an okay thing to do. Absolutely.
2: And I know that that's your thing. It's just, it just get comfortable asking questions. Some people will be uncomfortable with it. So be it, but you do not have to surrender your autonomy and your, your faculties of critical thought. You're allowed to ask questions and just, you'd be surprised where that takes you.
1: Perfect note to end it on. I'd love to have you back, Mickey Z. Uh, people can find your your uh, podcast, the Post Woke Podcast. Just hey, put it in the search bar of whatever search engine you're using. Research yep. it. <laughs> you can find him with well, a Mickey simple. Bit but... Substack.com if they, if there they we need go. Handholding. <laughs> yeah, Substack also great. I, I love that platform. I, it's amazing how it's exploding, and that gives me hope too. Uh, independent yeah. thinking. Um, he is Mickey Z. I'm Michelle Tafoya. This has been Sideline Sanity. Be brave and do good. Happy to talk once again with Charles Thorngren, the CEO of Legacy Precious Metals. You know, I think it still is confusing to people, uh, some people, uh, as to why. A precious metals investment would be a worthwhile one, particularly at this time when they're thinking, I'm doing all I can to put gas in the car. Why is now a particularly good time? And we'll go from there to how small of an investment is worthwhile for someone?
3: You know, great question. And I think the the importance of why really comes into the fact that we have to save for ourselves, whether it's a little here, a little there whether it's making it a plan and putting out so much paycheck, whether it's making sure we fund our retirement account, we have to realize we are responsible for ourselves in the long run.
1: (laughs) You mean that no one else is going to ride up and save us, you know, on some white steed?
3: It ain't going to (laughs) happen. It ain't going to happen. You know, and anyone who's promising to do that is getting ready to take advantage of you in some form or fashion.
1: Yeah. And so so if if I'm an investor, a potential investor, and I'm looking at legacy precious metals and I'm saying to myself, yeah, I, I this sounds smart. I don't have a lot to spend. What would you tell that person?
3: I would say, do what you can. If you never start, you never get there. So the most important step you can take is saying, I'm going to take care of myself and my family. I'm going to make it a plan. I'm going to take action. I'm going to start in the way that's comfortable for me. That's the important thing. The first step is always the hardest. But once you take that first step, the second step is easier. And then you're moving. And then once you're in motion, it's hard to stop you. So that first step, most important step.
1: I always tell people they can call and talk to an IRA expert or, or check out the the guide that they can download for free, the investor's guide. What, what is the number one question that you get from people who are first-time investors?
3: The biggest question I get, is this right for me? That is the question.
1: And that comes from everyone. So so everyone's asking the same, is this right for me? And yet we're all so unique. And, and yet it, it is a sound investment for just
3: about any portfolio, isn't it? It is. Even though we're all unique, that uniqueness is going to tailor the way we begin the investment. Okay, but we're all in the same situation. That's the one thing I think we seem to forget in today's society. Whether you agree with somebody or not, we're in this together. America is in this transition that we're in right now. We're dealing with the same issues. Some people like them, some don't. But we're all in it together. Right. So the need is the same. How we prepare and how we invest is what changes from person to person. But We all have that same need.
1: It's a great point. And again, I encourage people to, to, to just make the call, pick up the phone. That step is always the hardest. I'm not sure why that is in any kind of effort that you make in life, whether it's weight loss or exercise or investing some way to better your life. It always seems like that first hurdle is, is the challenge. Uh, but when they call, who, who are they going to talk to? Who, what, what's going to be on the other end of the line for them?
3: great question. You're going to speak with one of our customer representatives and their job is not to sell you metals, right? We have a much different approach. We're going to answer all your questions. We're going to show you what options you have. And on the rare occasion, this isn't right for you. We're going to say this probably isn't right for you. Um, we have a gold company here, but you know, I say it all the time. What we actually deal in is customer service. We want each and every individual that calls to get the answers they need to be able to make the decision that's right for them. And we want to do that in a way that's not pushy, that's not salesy, and that's what makes my team so special. We care about each and every caller, and we're going to show you what options you have, and then you get to make an informed decision. So don't be afraid of the phone call. It's the best thing you can do.
1: And this is why I am so honored and I feel privileged to be sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. They're the ones that I'm going to deal with, and I encourage you to pick up the phone, give them a call. Even easier, go check out their, their guide. It's a free investor's guide at legacypminvestments.com, legacypminvestments.com. But as you said, Charles, pick up the phone. You're going to talk to someone who can answer your specific questions and get, get the ball rolling. Get, get started. Do something that is a long-term play for your family's benefit. Charles, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much.
3: Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always great to be here.